Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Property is a hot topic, always. I've interviewed a range of property experts over the past 196 episodes of my podcast and there is something about our national interest, obsession even with property in Australia that seems to get everyone buzzing. Michelle May is a buyer's agent and she's got some insights for us on how to negotiate the next property sale or purchase that you might make and she has 25 years of experience and a raft of awards. Growing up in North Africa, due to her parents' job, Michelle started travelling the world from an early age. Moving to the UK at the age of 20, she held down a normal, air quotes, job for 12 years while also renovating and flipping properties, starting with her first project at the age of 22. Landing in Australia in 2007 gave her the opportunity to transform her property passion into a well-respected business that it is today. She educates her clients into making better property purchasing decisions through her business as well as her podcast, By Your Side, and by being a regular media contributor. Michelle is passionate about giving buyers back the power in their property buying experience, and she's a mother of two teenagers, a speaker of four languages, and lives by the motto, a day not laughed is a day not lived. Well, hopefully we can have some laughs and some fun and get into property negotiating, but welcome to the politics of everything. Michelle. (laughs) Thank you, Amber. It's great to be here. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automate post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Okay, as a young kid... Did you always know what you wanted to do? Did you have some sort of aptitudes or dreams that you thought, okay, I'm going to be an astronaut, I'm going to be an athlete, I'm going to be a real estate person? (laughs) Oh, look, I actually had ambitions to become an English teacher and I was actually in university. One of the many languages you speak. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just getting by in English, to be honest. But yeah, I just, I, I really fancy doing that. I, I really, I have a real affinity for languages and, you know, love literature and things like that. But then 
things took a sort of a left turn when I took a job with British Airways of, of all places, which was a bet that I won between my friends. They, um, British Airways was recruiting in Europe because they needed people with languages. And of course, they came to the Netherlands where everybody speaks at least two or three. And my friends were saying, oh, you know, British Airways is terribly snobby. It's really difficult to get a job there. And I said, OK, well, I'll bet you 50 guilders, which is a lot of, you know, beer money for a student um, at the time that I'll get the job. And I had absolutely no ambitions to to be working for an airline whatsoever. So I went and, and did the interview and lo and behold, I got the job. Wow, there you go. So that's an interesting way to land your first job. And of course, you, you went on to other things afterwards. Yes. Getting, getting into our topic today, look, negotiating is something that for some people might make them cringe or kind of, you know, pull back a bit, the idea mm. of kind of going in there and kind of getting what you think you deserve and the way in which you think you should get it. It's not for everyone, basically. But of course, you have a successful business that, that does just that in the property sector. Can yeah. you explain a little bit about your mindset when you negotiate either on behalf of a client or to actually get a new client on the books? Because obviously, it's an ongoing process for you. You're doing this all day, every day. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I always say to to potential clients uh, that a lot of what we do isn't about property at all. It's about people and, and understanding their motivations. It's, it's like playing chess, if you like. You always have to think a few steps ahead. So, you know, I'm talking about the vendor's motivation, the, the agent's motivation, and then, you know, how how passionate are you about getting this property? You know, because some, not every property that you see that you might potentially put in an offer for is on the same scale. You know, some you will want to throw everything at it, you know, including the change behind the sofa and, and others. Are like your like, dream, dream property and yeah, your forever homes like, oh and all gosh. the emotional stuff that goes with that. Yeah. And, and you'll beg, borrow and steal and, and get the bank of mom and dad involved versus, you know, one that sort of is a little bit less desirable and you have to do a bit of work and you have a few more reservations about. So it's about understanding those chess pieces and how they all fit together. I think. Uh, the what I always say is that you know buyers don't actually ask enough questions from the get go. The more questions you ask, the better you are as a buyer in a position to negotiate more effectively. You know you've got to do less talking and more listening. That's interesting because you often think when negotiating it's all about what you say and mm. and all those sorts of things. So it sounds like the mindset is about listening yeah. as well as perhaps, yeah, hearing what it is that are the motivations for the vendor as well as the others involved in this as well. Yeah. So we're obviously in an interesting time in the Australian property market. There isn't a lot of supply. Interest rates have not stopped going up for, you know, over 12 months now. How can buyers and sellers negotiate in a tight property market? Because it is a different landscape to it was a few years ago. Yeah, it, it is. I think, and I keep saying this year on year, it's getting more and more difficult. You know, supply is really drying up and there's a number of reasons for that. You know, obviously the interest rates are really hitting hitting the, the vendors uh, as much as the buyers because those vendors who potentially want to move up because they need a bigger property, they can no longer borrow what they need to take that next step, right? So they're kind of stuck. And then the downsizers who've got the bigger properties who potentially want those smaller properties, they can't move down because they're not for sale. So it's, it's again, understanding as a buyer, what, what bracket of the market am I actually in? Because some 
some brackets of the market say the the apartment market is easier than the home by the house buyer market. Um, and Which is then, a shift, I think, in some of the major cities. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm. it's you know, it, often that's the entry point for people is, you know, the, the, the apartment mm. market. But, of course, you know, we did have that pandemic thing and people's mindsets changed a little bit about, I think, space and home, the place of, you know, I guess your major property. I mean, I guess my question really is, are you seeing people offloading apartments, even though there's a supply issue overall? We don't have mm. enough dwellings full stop. Yeah. But, you know, is it investors that are kind of going, okay, this is getting really hard for me? Absolutely. I I. My team and I are actually, you know, we're, we're pounding the streets every day and we have never seen so many apartments with sitting tenants that are still on really long leases. So I think the misconception of a lot of people is that property investors are, you know, very wealthy people who have like multiple properties. But it's actually the the the, the reality is it's the vast majority of property investors are just regular people who have only one investment property. So you know, if they've got a mortgage on their primary um, place of residence and then another mortgage on, you know, an investment property, it's getting really, really difficult. So, you know, they they can't usurp that, that increase in cost just by whacking up the rents, you know. There's still just the maintenance, you know, the strata levies and everything else. So we're definitely seeing more investor-owned apartments coming up for sale. So then whilst they are for sale, they're not really an option for my home buyers, you know, because those guys ha- are probably mostly renting and they're going, well, I need to be out by September. Looking at an apartment that's that's occupied till next year, March, is not going to work for me. Mm. So, so that's a that's- bit of tension. How do you negotiate that, for example? Just give us like a general mm-hmm. scenario of how you, because there's obviously a need and an interest, but the timing's not lining up. For example. No, that's right. So then you've got to really look at the property in the cold light of day and go, okay, so how suitable is it actually for my clients? So say they're owner occupiers, say, you know, what are the options for my buyers to to wait until that tenant vacates? Is it a possibility that you move in? you know, potentially with family or friends uh, or that you do an Airbnb uh, for the time being uh, and how much is that going to cost you versus, you know, just moving on to the next property because, you know, you're talking about negotiations. So those apartments that are occupied with tenants are at the moment quite good opportunities for those buyers who can hold out until, you know, the, 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 the property becomes vacant quite often access to those kinds of properties is tricky. So the agents t- tend to be tearing their hair, hair out because of, you know, access is, is difficult. It's not presented as well as it could I was going to say that's the other thing. Yeah. We've all looked at those properties because when you're yeah. the tenant, you can be a fabulous tenant on many levels, but if it's like, you know, the place you live, there's no skin in the game for you to really kind of do no. the extra vacuuming or pack away all your all your laundry. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, unfortunately, I have been through properties where I can just see that the tenants done it on purpose. You know, they're annoyed because they have to move out. And and look, I can't I can't blame them, really. So if you've got a buyer, if if you are a buyer who's able to look through that and go, well, what have I actually got in front of me? Is this the type of property that I want? Has it got great, you know, great light, good aspect, uh, the size, a, a good block, all those things, you know, look through the mess that's, you know, there. 
there because you're not buying the mess, you're buying the bones. And then and then see how that, you know, that property is tracking in terms of the campaign. So again, do a lot more asking questions and listening to the agent and they will be able to guide you in terms of, you know, where you should be sitting in terms of price. You know, obviously do your due diligence, you know, all your research, make sure that everything stacks up, you know, that the, the, the strata committee is involved, there's no issues. Because that's that's the other thing, you know, obviously you've got to not just do your due diligence when it comes to the actual apartment, but the, the, you're buying into the community of a complex. So, you know, there may be things there that are very unfavorable. You know, there could be concrete cancer, you know, there could be a fire order on the building. And so that comes at a cost as well. So that then becomes potentially a negotiation tool for you to offer a lower price. Mm, that's so interesting. And of course, we have touched on the idea the property market has changed. How has your role kind of changed from, say, a couple of years ago, you know, around 2020, 2021? Mm. We actually, our family actually left Sydney and did the sea change, tree change thing to the New South Wales Central Coast, where I'd grown yeah. up um, many years ago. But, you know, there was a lot of, it was like this reverse activity. So we found it, we had to use a buyer's agent to actually find our place on the coast, which traditionally would not be a thing for a regional property. And we couldn't rent out our Sydney property for love or money. Yeah, and it was an interesting time. What are you, your role is obviously different now because it's a different market. So, how have you, I guess, recalibrated your focus in terms of the types of clients you're working with? Well, it's 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 funny because ch- like COVID changed everything for us in terms of not just the real estate industry was brought into the 21st century with, with a rude shock. All of a sudden, we were doing things online, you know, things like you know Zoom auctions and DocuSign contracts. So that was a major plus for us because the whole industry streamlined a lot. But when it comes to clients, I think you know. COVID made people really think about what they needed from a property. Uh, And whilst, you know, the world has gone back to a new normal, those things haven't changed. So people are wanting a lot more uh, from their property. Uh, And what I mean by that is just like, for example, having a corner to work from home, you know. so And a permanent corner, right? Because it's not not just one day a year you're going to be doing this thing. No. And and whilst a lot of, you know, you're reading a lot that a lot of employers are saying, look, you need to come back into the office. There's still a lot of flexibility, at least for a couple of days a week. So, um, so, the, the the market went down and then it went back up again. Uh, so you know the prices are still going up and and people are still requiring more from their property. So from my my job has actually become more more and more about educating client or well, potential clients upfront and going. Listen, I know you've been looking for a year, but in your heart of hearts why is that you know and so I quite often yeah I quite often have to be the bad guy and go listen let's run you through some statistics and realistic like sales and look at what you could have bought in the last three months and and quite often we have to you know tell these people that what they're wanting wasn't possible a year ago, let alone today. Mm. Um, So it's a lot about education up front and I am I am of the mindset that, you know, it's, I don't want to manage my clients after they've signed up with me. I'm not a salesperson. It's my job to, to, to be very open and upfront about what I can actually bring to the table before they make that commitment to me and my team. Uh, And the best way to do that is to, to, 
sort of squash that wishful thinking in a way by the reality. Um, and that's not easy. That's, you know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, tears are involved. Um, of course it's, it's, and, a, it's yeah. really stressful for people. It's obviously sometimes the biggest purchase they'll ever make. And of course you work in, I guess, some of the most sought after parts of Sydney. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up in the Eastern suburbs, inner West is obviously very desirable as well. And that they're really expensive pockets, probably, you know, one of the most expensive parts of the whole mm. of Australia yeah. you, you obviously have great buying tactics and you've mentioned in your bio to me that you know you've got a great success rate at auctions which obviously mm. are very emotional <laughs> like I've been through those I actually oh my goodness I can't handle that that's even worse than watching the Matildas do the penalty shootout the other night <laughs> oh um, my gosh <laughs> but you know 80% success rate at auctions is mm. impressive how common like is it that you kind of win at an auction? Because obviously you go in with a budget and a strategy, but mm-hmm. you don't want to be going over obviously what your, no. your clients can afford. But then again, if they've looked for a year or two years or however long, it, it's a it's a fine line, right? Well, uh, the answer to that is research, research, research. So once we, I mean, without, you know, even meeting clients when they when they send through a client brief I already know whether things are possible or not right because we're we're constantly seeing facts you know the numbers come through and we talk to agents every day when we find a property that is suitable the first thing we do once they they they've been through it is is do our independent pricing research so we we always say to clients to forget about the price guide like price guides by and large are nonsense you know, they are there to draw people in. They are the bottom of what is on the agency agreement. Now, take into equation competition, which is always there on good properties, even in, in a down market, you're competing with other people. Add to that a little bit of underquoting, you know, and you've got yourself a very different equation to what it's really worth. So we, we do very diligent price analysis, which isn't an auto valuation that you get off your, you know, your Commonwealth app or your core logic. Those are, they're fictitious as well. They're, they're, they're done on algorithms and they don't take into consideration things like, you know, school catchment areas, for example, or the fact that it's got a pog and pole kitchen or it needs a complete reno. It doesn't take into consideration any of those things. So we do our independent pricing research and then we look at you know, we do summation valuation. So we look at what's inferior, what's, you know, superior, all that. So our clients have a very good understanding of what we think the property is worth before they go into auction. Uh, We do our due diligence, then, you know, we talk about how good is this property actually, how good does it, well does it meet our clients' needs. So they may go beyond our price recommendation a little bit because they want it so much. Now, I have to say that when we have been sick, you know, when every property that we've bought, we have never had a valuation come back for less than what we've paid for it. Because you've done um, your research. I mean, that's absolutely. what it comes down to. Absolutely. Yeah. And so got prior to going into auction, again, I've gained a lot of knowledge from the agent who my competition is going to be. I know exactly who is going to be there because again I have long-standing relationships with agents you know they see me on a weekly basis I've been stalking them for years I always say and so they will tell me more than most because quite often they want me to open the bidding and that is because a lot of people who come to auctions are are in that wishful thinking kind of you know frame of mind whereas I'm there to buy you know so I'm not afraid to open the bidding and quite often when a property has been underquoted by a fair amount or there's 22 registered bidders and you know the domain coffee cart has rocked up I, I want to make sure that I knock out everybody as many people with my opening bid so I'll open quite strongly but 
confidently knowing that I'm still well within the range of what that property is worth. So with that, then that becomes then a point, a position of power and it changes everything for everybody else who's there, you know? So I think the, the clients and I then, you know, we have a very in-depth conversation prior to the auction and set the, the maximum bid limit. And that doesn't change. You know, I do not talk to my clients during the auction because the whole point of me bidding for them at auction is that I take out that the nervousness, you know, the insecurity. The emotional uh, side of it, really? Emo- yeah, absolutely. You know, what happens on the block is not reality. Okay? Of that's, course that's, not. That's the TV show. <laughs> a good buyer's agent should never talk to their client during the auction because that is the same as a sales agent, you know, putting pressure on them saying, oh, come on, it's only a thousand bucks more. Are you sure you're going to miss it on that? No, you know, we we have set the limit prior and I need to focus on what's happening in front of me. I need to read people's body language. You know, I need to see what the agents are doing. I need to listen to the auctioneer. So I don't I don't actually have time to, to say to my clients, are you sure you don't want to spend more? Because that that's it's you know, not happening. Already, and auctions no. move so fast. I mean, Absolutely. They, there's yeah. no, not really a lot of conversational opportunity if, you know, if you've ever no. been to a high, fast-paced auction. No, and, and look, and if you see me at auction, I'll be bidding. Like, you know, I will make it fast because I want you to have your head spinning before you can even realize what I've done. Mm. That's what a buyer's agent does. You know, I, whilst my heart rate goes up, it, I don't have the emotional involvement. This is my job. You know, I, it is my job to get it for the best possible price for my client. Admittedly, when I when I bought my last place myself, I, I went against everything that I say to my client. Oh, good. You don't know. take your own advice. <laughs> no. Nice. <laughs> you know, I, I fell in love with the property. It was a fantastic property. I uh, loved it. Could really see it as my home. And I, I smashed my own top limit. And <laughs> that's, you know, and that's what I say to my clients, please don't do that. And even to every buyer out there, you really have to set that limit because it's, you know, you can't be making it up during the auction because I will take advantage of that. If or li- or live with the consequences you. when you can't, you're going to be living on baked beans the rest oh of the year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's, the, and no property is worth eating baked no. beans for, you know, no, for the rest of your life. No. It's really not. No. Absolutely. Look, just some general advice, I guess, around this. Obviously, you work in blue chip areas, but, you know, are there exceptions mm. for, say, if you're a rent vester and that's someone who's obviously renting somewhere else where they might choose mm. to live, but they can't afford to buy or whatever, but they're actually investing in, in other areas? And that could be, you know, other parts of that capital city. It could be a regional area. It could be anywhere, really. Yeah. You just want sometimes a decent rental return or even the tax benefit, particularly if you're sort of heading to sort of retirement age. What's your general advice? Because I've heard heard multiple views on this um, Mm. from property people. So I'm just curious to know what your position is. I am of the low risk longevity type of investment. I go for capital growth with a decent return. That's what I advise my clients to do. I, you know, it's it's perhaps not sexy and fast and furious, but it is, you know, it's a lot of money, particularly when you're buying in Sydney. So you want to make sure that you you get the best possible property for for your money. So what you always have to think about is underlying demand. So with regional cities uh, and towns, it's great when the economy is going bank gangbusters and, you know, there's lots of money going around and, and big conglomerates are 
conglomerates are opening up, you know, um, regional offices and things like that. And then, you know, there's money to be made for everyone. However, when the market changes uh, and the economy changes, you know, those offices close and, you know, there's less money. So I think you've got to look at where is there always going to be an underlying demand for a good quality property Mm. and, what are the things that you want from a property? So a, a tenant is no different than an owner-occupier. You know, they want good internal light. They want a pleasant environment to live in because you, ideally you want a tenant who stays for 20 years. You know, you don't uh, yeah, absolutely. Want yeah, you don't want people changing every six months because there's mould or there's, you know, structural issues or like you say, it's terrible lighting and they can kind of do it short term and then they're like one day, no, nah, I don't want to be here anymore. I guess what I'm trying to dig into is that postcode snobbery if you like mm. like I've got friends who they only invest in kind of the areas they live in but part mm-hmm. of me sees also that they're they've got tenants who are paying a lot of rent they have high expectations mm-hmm. so they are going yep. to call out a plumber every time that tap is dripping because they're paying $1,200 a week rent you know so yep. it's that yep. is this really always going to of course you'll have capital growth over time but it's also sometimes feels like there's a little bit of a you like saying you have a property in Wallara for example or something Mm. like that rather than going actually is that great or is that building really falling down it's got you know no sinking Mm. fund and there's a whole bunch of issues coming. Mm. Well then I would say you're better off getting a really great two-bed apartment in Ashfield Mm. you know rather than than putting all your money in, in, in Wallara if it's a subpar property. I think you've, you've always got to focus on A-star quality properties. And it, sometimes people say to me, oh, you know, particularly when I mention that I work in property, that everyone's got an opinion and they go, oh, yeah, we well, can't go wrong if you invest in Bondi. Well, actually you can. Oh, um, yeah, you definitely you know, can. Because- <laughs> it depends on, the, like you say, the quality of the property. Absolutely. And so, like, if you are looking to take a bit of a, you know, a forward-looking uh, outlook in, into property, what you want to look at is something like, for example, Marrickville has changed beyond recognition in the last you know, 20 years. And some people um, may not have seen that coming, right? Because, no, but you know, but we've got all the cars and we've got other things that which people might not like. Yeah, but it has all the markers. It has the, the, the transport. It has the green space. It has the you know, the medium and low density because you don't want to end up in an, in an area where it's at high density. Say you're oh, wanting absolutely. to buy an apartment because there's too many of the same thing for rent at the same time. And the, the, the demand, the, the, the rental pool is too many of the same people. So what you want is underlying demand for from a broad spectrum of tenant. So you want to have a property that would be attractive to sharers, to a family, to a young couple, you know, white collar, uh, blue collar. You don't want to be appealing to just one type of demographic. I mean, that's what we saw, for example, when COVID happened and all the international students left. Mm, all those you know? sort of one bedroom, tiny apartments in the yeah. inner city were not appealing anymore. No. So, and, and so for example, again, going back to, let's say, Marrickville, look at the sister suburbs that have the potential to become the next Marrickville. So I've been pinpointing Ashfield for ages, for example. Oh, there you go. And There's a hot tip, everybody who's in yeah. Sydney. <laughs> and it's crazy. Like the prices, it's not crazy because it, it makes sense. It, the prices have gone through the roof in mm. Ashfield. You know, you're looking for a two-bedroom apartment. You're you're paying over $900,000. Wow. You That's know? incredible. You, there was a just, that, wasn't gonna, that wasn't the case. And I guess, no. you know, 
if people are looking for that quick sale or off-market sale, do you have any mm-hmm. kind of tips about that? Because I guess that's where you can come in because, you know, you might have an agent call you and say, mm. hey, I've got this really motivated vendor, as they call it, or the yes. jargon. <laughs> you know, they might be coming off a mortgage cliff or something like that. But, you know, yeah. what's that kind of secret source for you when that sort of stuff happens? How do you kind of get involved? So, yeah, we get contacted Every day by agents, but also vendors directly who are saying, hey, I, I need to sell. Have you got someone? You Again, it's about the art of listening and asking the questions because a lot of those off markets are never going to be a good deal in the first place because you know, potentially the vendors have got unrealistic expectations. Oh, that's um, interesting because I think it's the opposite. Yeah. I think sometimes it's off market because they're like they just get need it done and they don't want to go through the hassle of an auction yes, and a campaign it, and all of that stuff. Uh, that, and that can absolutely be the case, Amber, but you've got to determine which one it is, okay? Mm. So absolutely, and this is again asking the questions for, from the agents. So there's a lot of agencies now that are touting off markets, but they that are not really off markets because as soon as a property is marketed to a database, that's no longer off market, okay? That is true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and my closest friends. <laughs> well, and there's also people contacting us saying, well, I'm only wanting to use you because you have access to off markets. And I say, well, that's true. However, an off market still needs to be run through the same due diligence as any other type of property. It's, mm. the, the marketing should not matter to you. It's about the quality of the property. So going back to how to, you know, get get a good deal on, on an off market. I think it's about really understanding what the property is worth because obviously that is going to be the tricky part, you know, because a lot of the times there's no floor plan, there's no marketing, there's, you know, so you, you're really no doing photos, it on your That's you know, it, yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, making sure that the agent is not just using you as fodder to manage the vendor's expectations because that happens a lot mm, because, you know, agents will call me and say, Hey, we've got the soft market. Well, what do you want for it? And they'll tell me the price and I'll be like, yeah, you're kidding me. Right. That's never going to happen. And they're like, no, but Michelle, you know, come on, just do me a favor. I'm like, no, 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 no. This, this, this vendor clearly doesn't want to sell un- unless they get their dream price. I'm not your person. You know, mm, so be careful with that. Yeah, be careful with that because I think a lot of people sort of get starry-eyed around the whole idea of off-market. Because there's also the case where they they have it off-market for two weeks, but they've already done you know the photos and the styling. So unless they get that dream price in the first two weeks, then they're going to run a full campaign on it. So you've got to be careful also when you throw a good offer at them for that not to then inflate the vendor's expectations. You know, because they're going to go, well, if I get an offer this high at this point in time, I'm going to run the full campaign. I'm going to get even more. Yeah, exactly. I, I hear what you're saying. I think that's great advice. So your role is obviously going to keep evolving and buyers agents are mm. just part of the property landscape now. There was a time that was something that only happened overseas, but I know for yeah. me personally, <laughs> I would never not use a buyer's agent. Ever again, they just are such good experience to find the right one. Who has local knowledge is really key, I think. But what do you think, if you got out your crystal ball, what do you sort of Mm. see your role as in the next few years and some trends that you might be seeing around how buyers agents operate and the services they they offer? Well, 
I mean, I've been doing it since 2008 and we were sort of, you know, these kind of rare breed of, of agents and we were met with weary eyes from, from sales agents. It's now changed so much that we're becoming more part and parcel of the equation. For me, I, and this is why I started the podcast and, you know, I do a lot of talking and working with first home buyers. I think that I hope that people understand the value that a buyer's agent brings to the property equation. So I always say, you know, you can buy a shitty property all by yourself. You don't need a buyer's agent to do that for you. A buyer's agent should help you buy better, should help you understand why it is you're paying what you're paying. And also it should happen within a reasonable timeframe. You know, it's, we, I work. It shouldn't like, be going on for like. It's also in your no. best interest to have the have it all happen fairly reasonably time wise, so that you can sew that up and keep building your business. Yeah, true. But it's I don't have time limits in my agency agreements. You know, I know some agencies have three months. For me, it's about finding the right property for for that client. And and sometimes even you know when when the right property shows up in the first two weeks, I'm like, damn, that's too quick, because they haven't seen enough first of all they haven't seen enough of what I can bring to the table uh, because finding the right property is the easy part it's what happens next is where we really add value you know helping clients walk away from the wrong property you know we 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 found a great property for clients in Leichhardt for example the other day and I was like guys we need an independent we always get an independent building a pest no matter if the agent has already commissioned one and the agent was pushing us to act quickly. And they're like, oh, don't have time. I'm like, no, 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 we're, we're going to get an independent building and pest. Turns out the vendor had done a dodgy and half the property was likely to be riddled with termites. You know, client was devastated because they thought it was their their, their dream property. They're better but to know now than know later. Exactly, I mean, right? And it ended up selling for over, you know, I think over $2.2 million. Oh, my goodness. So, That's really terrible. That's a cautionary tale, I guess, of the value that you add. So just changing yeah. tack a little bit, what's the mm. best piece of advice that you've ever been given? It doesn't just have to be business. It could be life advice. Mm. And why? <laughs> You can't be an expert at everything and pay for expert advice. Mm, I like that. I, you know, I started my own bars agency uh, in 2017, and I, you know, I had no intention of really growing the business. I just wanted to do what I was good at, and you know, demand was such that I needed to grow and you know offer you know more clients help. And so I was very lucky to be part of a mentorship for women in business for the NOS Council. And, you know, I got these four amazing mentors, some of whom I still work with to this day. And I found it, you know, it was mind blowing how much I, how much I didn't know about running a business. And I think that, you know, you need to surround yourself by people who know more than you. I might be very good at what I do, but I know very well that Alicia, for example, my you know business manager, she she, she runs RCRM like like a demon, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the people that are really good at all the other things. I agree. <laughs> I, I totally. I, I hear yeah. you on that, and, um, and I think that is one way we 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 show up ourselves as well as buyers agents. You know, I think a lot of our clients who come to us, you know, aren't, aren't quite sure what a buyers agent does but they know that they're not experts in buying property and they need help and and that's where we come in you know we we are the experts we do this on a daily basis we have been doing this a long time we have the connections and you know so it's worth paying a respected well-connected buyer's agent to help you in that process 
Yeah, absolutely. If we spoke in a year's time, Michelle, do you have a big kind of goal that you'd like to put out there and hopefully have achieved by then? And just quickly explain why it's important to you. So I've taken a bit of a hiatus with my podcast due to personal reasons, but my podcast is all about educating home buyers and particularly first home buyers, all those things that nobody ever talks about, things you didn't know. And is really my aim is to make that bigger and to make Make, really balance that that the, the the what do you call it the power in the real estate equation. You know, I do a bit on TikTok as well and my social media. Um, go you oh, look. <laughs> <laughs> it's part and parcel of of today's landscape, right? It is, and it, for me, it's or oh, even if you just hear one snippet of what I'm saying and and pick that up, and the next time you go through a property inspection, hey, Michelle said to watch out for these. That is really my aim, and uh, I hope that it becomes a more transparent uh, transaction. I, I feel that so many buyers, you know, they they get up, lit up the, the garden path and they get really frustrated and they lose money and time and fall in love with the wrong properties and all that kind of stuff. So my aim really is that my my podcast and the way we educate our clients and, and the greater, you know, audience out there that, you know, that we can keep doing that and, uh, and yeah, hopefully um, help people along that way. Because I know not everyone can invest in a buyer's agent. So yeah, I'm hoping that that will, uh, will help people educate them that way. Absolutely. Takeaway message for us today on the politics of property negotiations. I think listen more and talk less. I think that's where you're going to get more out of the transaction. You're going to put yourself into a better position to, to get a successful uh, negotiation across the line. It's got to be a win-win for everybody somehow. Obviously, we want you to win the most. So think about that equation, you know, because it's even though it's a it's about property, it's about people, and never forget that. That was your opening message and your closing <laughs> message. So there you go. And of course, you do want to connect further with Michelle. There will be details on the show notes. Until next time, do take care. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything. I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.